What's up, everybody? I hope you have been blessed as you've engaged with worship with us from across the country and across the world. I'm delighted that you're with us today. And if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, we encourage you to go ahead and share this message with your family and friends. And if you have not subscribed to our YouTube channel, please go ahead and do just that. And you can also share the link to our NBCC website. Uh, Here in America, we seem to be plunging deeper and deeper into uh, all forms of violence. Most recently, uh, 10 people lost their lives in Buffalo. And then there was, uh, in the same uh, period of time, a number of people lost their lives at the Taiwanese Presbyterian Church in Southern California. Horrendous uh, acts of violence. So let's just take a moment and spend some time in prayer together. God, we lift up those who are grieving today, who suddenly and unexpectedly found themselves dealing with unimaginable pain. We pray, God, that your peace and your comfort will make all the difference in their lives as you gather people around them to love on them and carry them and support them. We pray also for the perpetrators of these horrendous acts and for those who may be contemplating such acts in the future. We ask that your spirit of conviction would uh, make a difference. We pray that you would marshal the resources to provide the mental health care that people actually need to keep um, these kinds of things, these kinds of actions from taking place. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Now, bless the speaker and the word. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, guys, listen, I've got a special, special treat for you today. Uh, My very good friend, the Reverend Dr. Mike Rumberger, is going to be our speaker today. And uh, Pastor Mike actually was born and raised in Southern California, uh, in the foothills of Southern California, actually near Pasadena. And he's married to his wife, Jane. They have four kids, a grandchild and a son-in-law. And in the year of 2015, he became the president and CEO of Mount Hermon Christian Camp, which is a remarkable camp that provides a wide range of Christian activities for families and young people uh, and individuals. Uh, Prior to that, he spent almost 25 years as senior pastor of churches, both in California and in Colorado, helping to lead and and shape some of the largest uh, churches uh, in this country. He is no stranger to our pulpit, and I am delighted to bring him back today. Uh, Pastor Mike, welcome. Well, thank you, Pastor Herman. It is a great delight to be here at New Beginnings Community Church once again. It's been a few years since I've been here, and I so appreciate uh, Pastor Herman and our friendship that we have, and his friendship, and and the church's friendship with Mount Herman, the place I get to to serve, and so grateful to do so. I think it's funny that our name, Herman, kind of is the wrong way to spell it, H-E-R-M-O-N, and his way to spell it is H-U-R-M-O-N, and and uh, Mount Hermon is after the, the mountain in Israel. The name is after the, na- the mountain in Israel where people would go to be set apart to be with God. And we hope that if you haven't been to Mount Hermon in a while that you would come. We would love to have you and be a part of the ministry there. And we're so glad that your church comes from time to time. I lived in Colorado for 14 years with my wife Jane and our, and our kids. I pastored a church in Littleton before coming here to Mount Hermon and and we got some very close friends while we were there. We go back from time to time because our two oldest kids 
live there still, and they're now both married, and one has a, a child, and so we go back from time to time. And about once a year, when we go back, we get together with some of our closest friends, usually about six couples. We have a dinner in one of the houses, and after dinner, we, we get in a circle, and we just share our lives with each other. Sometimes our adult kids come with us, and after one of those gatherings, maybe about a year and a half ago, two years ago, our son-in-law, Eric, asked me a question. He said, Mike, what makes your friends so different? And he was talking primarily about my guy friends, nothing wrong with the ladies, of course, but he was asking me about the, the men. And I began to think about what does make them different, because they're pretty special guys. And I thought about it, and I responded by saying, well, you know, they're all in with the Lord. I mean, all in. They're still seeking the Lord, even though they're in their late 50s, now getting into their early 60s. Uh, they're willing to take on difficult leadership roles when they could say, you know, I got enough on my plate. I got a lot going on in my business or other activities. But they're willing to take on the tough stuff. Uh, they like to pour into younger uh, men and also to young couples, as they do as couples together. They uh, have great faith. They're not afraid of risk. I would say that they're courageous. And I say, most of all, I just think that these are individuals who love the Lord with all their heart, and they are all in with him. They lean in to the Lord, and it shows in their life. Sadly, way too many Christians just don't live that way. Oh, they've given their life to Christ. They've said the prayer. They, they go to church from time to time. They, they give a little bit of money. They might serve here or there where it's convenient. But when it comes to being all in, they've chosen not to be. They, they do things at their own level, and they don't take on the hard leadership roles, and they don't share Jesus with other people. They don't give money at a sacrificial level. And they maybe are thinking, and maybe you're this way too, you're thinking, you know, why hassle with the hard stuff? I got enough hard stuff of my own. Why, why jump in in those ways? My plate is already full. This culture has turned against Christianity. I don't want to fight that. It's already hard enough to do that in the workplace or in my neighborhood or at the school. It's easier to lay low and keep my head down. Let, let the young take the mountain, you know, and let them be zealous. But I'm, I'm going to hunker down here. But God built us to be all in. That's how he built us. I want you to take your Bibles and turn them to the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles chapter 17. 2 Chronicles 17. You'll find it about a third of the way through your Old Testament. So obviously right before it will be 1 Chronicles. And turn it to 2 Chronicles chapter 17. And today I want to introduce you to a man that maybe you've heard of or maybe you haven't. His name is Jehoshaphat. Some would say his name is Jehoshaphat. Others would say Jehoshaphat. I think if you look at it closely, it's Jehoshaphat. Uh, there's a Looney Tunes character that made his name a bit famous, and that's um, Yosemite Sam, who would say, jump in, Jehoshaphat. And why he says that, I don't know. And, and is Jehoshaphat in the story, does he jump? No. And is he even about this guy in the Bible? Probably not. But his name is Jehoshaphat, which means Jehovah has judged. He's the king of Judah. Judah. Now, Judah is not the same as Israel. In fact, not long before Jehoshaphat came into power, the, the kingdom split into two. There's the ten tribes of Israel to the north, and that's called Israel. Then there's two tribes on the south, Judah and Benjamin, and that's the nation of Judah. And he's over that area with Jerusalem in the middle of it all. He inherited a family lineage that maybe you've heard about. 
One of his relatives was a guy named David, King David, the man who was after God's own heart. Under his reign and rule, the people followed after God. His reign wasn't perfect by any means, but he followed after God. He had a heart for God. His son Solomon took over the kingdom. And Solomon, for a long time, was a man after God's own heart as well, and led well, and led in godliness. But as time went on, and he got wealth, and he got power, and he got fame and prestige, he began to let his heart slip away, and he allowed for there to be idols brought into the land of Israel. His son, Rehoboam, then took over, and it was under Rehoboam that the kingdom split into two. Ten tribes to the north, Israel, two tribes to the south, Judah. And, and Rehoboam not only increased having idol worship in the land, but additionally, he brought in male cult prostitutes, so now there's sexual perversion in the land. Rehoboam dies. His son Abijah takes over. Abijah only reigned for three years, and it basically just says about his reign that he continued on the ways of his father, which is not good. And then comes a guy named Asa. Asa takes over for Abijah, and Asa's a reformer. Asa changes things. Asa turns people back to God. Asa gets rid of the, the high places and, and the idol worship. He kicks out of the, the, the country the male cult prostitutes. He wasn't able to do everything, but he did a lot. And then his son takes over. Asa's son takes over, and that's Jehoshaphat. And he takes over this country now that has turned back to God, but still working on that, and that's when he comes into power. Let's look at the beginning of Jehoshaphat's story. It's just a summary description of his, of his life and leadership. It's just six verses, and those are the verses we're going to concentrate on today. Second Chronicles chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place, in Asa's place, and strengthened himself against Israel. He placed forces in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and the cities of Ephraim that Asa, his father, had captured. So basically, the, the cities that his dad had captured that are on the border between Israel and Judah, he now fortifies and makes it a strong protection for Judah down below. Verse 3, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments, and not according to the practices of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places and the ashram out of Judah." If we were to read on in this story, which continues through chapter 17 and 18 and 19 and 20 of Second Chronicles, we would read that Jehoshaphat established a nationwide discipleship program, if you will, appointing teachers of God's word that went throughout all the cities to teach them about the law of God. In chapter 19, we see that he brought people back to the Lord. In chapter 19, we also see that he appointed judges to oversee God's people with righteous judgment. In chapter 20, we see that when his back was up against the wall in battle, he prayed a prayer, which I now pray after learning about Jehoshaphat several years ago, and that's this prayer. In chapter 20, verse 12, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Isn't that a great prayer? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. He's a godly king, proactive in leading the nation, not just politically, but spiritually. But 
Jehoshaphat also made alliances with ungodly kings. He entered into a battle that God had warned him not to be a part of. And he did not continue tearing down the high places of idol worship later on in his reign. And they came back, which is what happens when you're not diligent to keep things on track. So he wasn't a perfect leader, as there are no perfect leaders. But overall, God used him. And we read that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat, verse 3 of chapter 17. He was with Jehoshaphat. Or as the Good News Bible puts it, the Lord blessed Jehoshaphat. Or as Eugene Peterson, the message puts it, God was on Jehoshaphat's side. I like that. He was on his side. Why? Why did he bless him? Why was he on his side? And I think it's because he was all in. He was all in with God. And before we go any further, I want to pause here and I want to pray. Because I want us to be open to what God might have for us when it comes to being all in for him. Would you bow with me, please, in prayer? Lord, with an open heart, with an open mind, we come before you right now, before we go any further in the story, and we ask that you would do what only you can do from the inside out to comfort us or confront us, to move us, to shake us, to give us peace that we need, to move us in directions we need to go, or whatever it is that we need today, that we would allow you to do that in our life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how can we be all in? How can we be all in? I'm going to give us three points, and they're going to sound very simple, because they are very simple. Simple to talk about, very hard to live. Simple to talk about, very hard to live. How to be all in? Number one, seek God. Seek God. When we seek after something, we go after it. We pursue it. We seek that which brings us benefit, right? We seek uh, the next acquisition in business if it's going to bring us benefit. We seek after the right kind of education if it's going to benefit us personally. We seek a relationship if we think that's going to be to our benefit. We seek a career path or a health benefit if we think it's going to benefit us in the present and in the future. I had some dates with some girls, high school and in college, and I would seek after them for a little bit, and then after a while I'd go, nah, I don't think so. But then when I was a junior in college, I met a girl named Jane, and I began to seek after her a lot. (laughs) Not stalk her, but seek after her, and to say, would you go out with me? And would you go out with me a second time, and a third time? And, And how about meeting my family? And on and on it went until one day I asked her that question, will you spend the rest of your life with me? Will you marry me? She gave me the ultimate compliment by saying, yes, I will. And now, 34 and a half years later, still in love, seeking after that which brings us benefit. When we seek after God, we get amazed at who we find. Because when we seek after him, we find out that he's a good God. We find out that he's a loving God. We find out that he's a caring God. We find out he's a just God and a fair God. We find out that he's our protector. We find out that he's our provider. We find out he is the one who forgives us of our sins and provides for us eternal life through his son. When we seek after him, we find him. 
and we fall in love with him. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's look at verses 3 and the beginning of verse 4 again. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. Now remember, David wasn't his actual father, but David was the standard bearer of all the kings, so he's considered the father, if you will. He did not, Jehoshaphat did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father. It's not just what we seek after, but what we don't seek after that can make a difference. Jehoshaphat, it says, did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father. Psalm 119, verses 9 and 10 are verses that mean a lot to me. They meant a lot to me, especially as a young man. They still mean a lot to me, but they were driving me when I was young. And they're these verses. How can a young man keep his way pure? How? By guarding it according to your word. And it says this, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. With my whole heart, I seek you. Not a half-hearted effort, but a whole heart, all-in effort to seek after God. God said to the exiled Jews through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 13. He said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, all in. Not partial heart, but all the way in with all your heart. Here's the thing about God. God doesn't play hide and seek. <laughs> what God plays is if you seek me, you will find me. He promises that. If you seek me, you will find me. But what do you find yourself seeking? What wakes you up in the morning to get going what gives you purpose in your day? Many of the people in the culture around Jehoshaphat were, it says, they were seeking the Baals, the idols of the day. Just like people are seeking the Baals today. And you might say, well, people are going to their backyard and there's statues and they're bowing down to them, idols. No, no. Let me explain this. Baal is was the most prominent Canaanite god, the sun god. Pretty significant, right? The sun god that was involved in, get this, fertility, agriculture, cattle, and sexual fulfillment. That's a lot of things that this god was over. This god had a lot of ability to better the core areas of a person's life. Childbearing, career, economic success, sexual pleasure. Same desires as today, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Childbearing, career, economic success, and sexual pleasure. Nothing has changed. Get this. An idol is placing something in God's place. An idol is something you place and I place in God's place. It's not a statue somewhere, but it's something that we place in God's place. So let's talk about some of our idols. Financial security. <laughs> you watch the stock market lately. Sports. Sports is definitely one of my idols. I, I really like sports. I particularly love baseball. Um, I really like to watch football. I enjoy basketball. Hockey is okay. Soccer, never. 
but I can find myself waking up in the morning and wanting to read about the game the night before more than just hopping right into the, the word of God. Politics can be an idol, placing our faith and trust in a political system, a political party, a political candidate. Health can be an idol. My goodness, the last two years we shut down the world because of health. All these things are legitimate as far as being important, but that's different than placing them in God's place. Children can become an idol. Relationships can become an idol. I could go on and on. An idol is placing something in God's place. And Jehoshaphat, it said, did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father. And because of this, it says that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. Because he did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father. He sought the God of his father because he saw his need for God. And when he sought after God, he found him. And when he found him, he realized he was a good God and a loving God and a God that he could trust and a God who protected him and a God who provided for him and a God who provided forgiveness for him and a God who leads him and guides him. And when you figure that out, you begin to trust him. And when you trust him, you live differently because of it. How do we be all in for God? Well, it's making God our first priority of our life, the, the need to be with him on a regular basis. Just a few nights ago, I was on the phone with our son, Caleb, who has just graduated from college on the East Coast. He's still back there for a little while until he comes out here for the summer. He said on the phone, he says, Dad, I, I'm not trying to brag in any way, but I just want you to know that today is a milestone for me. I said, well, yeah, what is that? He said, for 500 straight, straight days, I've been in God's word. I said, seriously? He goes, yeah. He goes, I did a year ago, I did reading through the Bible through a year every day, and I just kept it going. Today's 500 days in God's word. I'll tell you this about Caleb. I've noticed a difference in his life in the last year and a half of a depth for his love for the Lord. Huh, interesting. Seeking after God finds him, wants to be with him, trusts him, and it changes how he lives. In the famous faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. To be all in, to seek. When I seek after God, I will find him. I find him to be a good God and a loving God and a caring God, a God that I can trust. And then when I trust him, that's when I obey him. I mean, why would you obey somebody you don't trust? But when you seek him, you find him, and you find him to be a good God, and then you trust him, and then you obey him. So how to be all in, you seek God, number one. Number two, you obey God. Easy to talk about, hard to live. You obey God. When we seek after God, we find him, and when we find him, we trust him, and we trust him, we obey him. Let's look at verse 3 again, and we'll go a little bit further. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father, and walked in his commandments, and not according to the practices of Israel. He walked in his commandments, and not according to the practices of Israel. Let me ask you a question. 
Have you ever regretted obeying God? Have you ever regretted obeying God? Now, don't answer that too quickly. Think through that. Have you ever regretted obeying God? So I've been going to Mount Hermon as a camper since I was a little boy. Mom and Dad would bring us up for family camp every summer from the L.A. area. When I became a young adult and Jane and I got engaged, Jane came with the family and enjoyed family camp, and then we started coming as a married couple after that. We haven't missed once as a married couple, 34 years with our kids. Now our kids, now one of them has a kid and is coming to Mount Hermon. So Mount Hermon's been a big part of our life. Began to speak there and do different things there. And then God made it very clear to leave the church I was pastoring in Colorado and to come to lead Mount Hermon. Now I had never been a camping leader in my life, never expected to be one. My wife would tell you that the first two years in particular as a leader at Mount Hermon, it felt like it looked like, she, the way she put it, like my shoes were on the wrong feet. I was uncoordinated in my leadership, and that was very true. It wasn't a criticism, it was a reality. We left uh, a church that we loved and saw God working very powerfully in. We left a community that we loved as well in a neighborhood with good friends. We left dear friends that I already shared about a little bit. We left a home that we owned that was three times the size of the home that we're in now that we're renting because now we're in this area, right? You understand that very well. And when we got here, uh, it was a lot harder than I ever thought it was going to be. And the challenges that were before us were at times pretty significant in ways that uh, we never would have known. And I never once doubted God's call because he made it clear, but sometimes I I doubted God's wisdom about bringing us here. Let me ask this. Is there anywhere that you can find in the Bible, (coughs) excuse me, is there anywhere you can find in the Bible where God calls someone to a task and then their life gets easier? I haven't found it. I'm guessing you won't be able to either. Jehoshaphat walked in God's commandments, verse 4. What does that mean? We sometimes describe a person as one who walked away from God. So someone who walked in his commandments is someone who walks with God, who trusts God, who trusts his ways, who trusts his calling, who trusts his pathway, obeying his commandments. It is believing that God knows best and trusting him fully. When we walk in his commandments, we are in step with him, close to him, no matter how difficult the surrounding circumstances are around us. And get this, not only did Jehoshaphat seek after God and walk in his commandments, but he also did not walk according to the practices of Israel. He did not walk according to the practices of Israel. Israel had walked away from God. And Jehoshaphat chose to walk with God because he sought after God, found him to be trustworthy, and decided to obey him because he figured out his way is better than the other way. Get this. Jehoshaphat did not walk in the ways of his culture. Of his culture. He did not walk according to the practices of Israel. 
And let's talk about our culture today just a little bit. Our culture's lost its mind. Our culture has strayed so much away from the ways of God. And we know that so clearly here in this area, for sure. And let's face it, who likes to be out of step with one's culture? When you're out of step, you're, you're seen as, as someone who is um, unfriendly, unkind, unloving, odd. Who, who likes to be uh, out of step? It, it feels isolating and it feels lonely. But here's the truth. There's nothing new under the sun. This isn't the first culture to stray from God. All throughout the Bible, we find of cultures who strayed away from God, and sometimes God had to bring down a heavy hand to get his people back to him. Here's what is key to understand. We get to choose where we walk and who we follow. We get to choose that. God doesn't force us to obey him. He doesn't force us to seek him. We get to choose where we walk and who we follow. We're never forced. We have a choice. We can walk with God or away from God. Obey him or (coughs) disobey him. Excuse me. (coughs) Excuse my cough. I've had a, I have something. I am a little sick and it starts with uh, the letter C-O. You might wonder what that is. It's C-O-L-D. It's called a cold. That's all it is. Not the other C-O word, thankfully, but I do have a cold. So sorry about that. We get to choose where we walk and who we follow. And due to Jehoshaphat's decision to seek God, to trust God and obey him, God blesses him, empowers him, uses him, and honors him. Get this, look at verse 5. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. On the other side of Jehoshaphat's obedience is Riches and, and honor. Now, he does that for his king. It doesn't mean that everybody who obeys God is going to have riches and honor. But when he's the king, he wants the whole, God wants the whole world to say, look, look at my guy who follows me and look what I do for him. It was drawing people to him. So let me ask you again. Have you ever regretted obeying God? And I want to tell you with all sincerity, as I look through my my life of 58 years now, never once, not once, have I ever regretted obeying God because his ways are right and his ways are best. And sometimes his ways are harder by far, but to be all in is a life like none other. The fulfillment that comes with that, the lives that are impacted by that. I mean, let me ask you this. Have you ever regretted staying sexually pure? Have you ever regretted holding your tongue? Have you ever regretted respecting authority? Have you ever regretted choosing to stay with your spouse instead of bolting from your spouse? Have you ever regretted husbands nurturing and cherishing your your wives? Have you ever regretted turning the other cheek? Have you ever regretted being honest to your own disadvantage? Have you ever regretted generously giving your money to the Lord's work? Have you ever regretted forgiving a person who has hurt you? Have you ever regretted obeying God? No, never. It's a life without regrets. Not an easy life. Sometimes a painful life. But a life without regrets. Why? Because God's ways are right, and they work. And they work. So how to be all in? 
seek God, obey God, third and final. This leads us to be courageous for God, to be courageous for God. It's a natural result of this. Verse 6, his heart, Jehoshaphat's heart, was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places and the ashram out of Judah. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places and the ashram out of Judah. Courage is facing what needs to be faced and doing what needs to be done regardless. Regardless of the pushback, regardless of the criticism, regardless of the personal consequences for yourself. It's facing what needs to be faced and doing what needs to be done regardless. And the times we're living in today call for courageous Christians. Not obnoxious Christians, we've got plenty of those. But courageous Christians. Christians who will face what needs to be faced and do what needs to be done regardless of the outcome. Notice what Jehoshaphat was courageous about. It says his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. His heart, his inner being was courageous in the ways of the Lord. Why? Because he trusted God deep down. He trusted God from the inside out. Let's face it. If you don't trust God, you're not going to be courageous for him. But when you seek after him and you find him, and you find him to be a good God and a loving God, and a God who protects and provides, you trust him. When you trust him, you follow him and you obey him because you'll realize his ways are best. And after you obey him, part of that is being courageous for him because you know that that is what is right to do. So what did Jehoshaphat do that was so courageous? Well, it says in verse 6 that he took the high places and the ashram out of Judah, meaning he got rid of the idols. He got rid of the idols in the land. You might say, well, that's really not a big deal. He's the king. He can do whatever he wants. Well, he can. But get this. He took on his culture. Remember, the Baal and now the Asherim, combination of idols that give the ability again to make babies, obtain wealth, be successful, and experience sexual pleasure. When you put Baal and Asherim together, you have a powerful set of desires that are promised to be fulfilled and give you a better life. And you rip those down from the people around you that they're holding on to and hoping that that's going to give them success and the pleasures that they want. I don't care if you're the king or not. That takes incredible courage to do that. But Jehoshaphat doesn't just care about being a political leader. He wants to be a spiritual leader over the people that God has entrusted to him. So he not only works on it in his own life to seek after God, <coughs> excuse me, to seek after God and to obey him in his ways, but to be courageous and to stand up to what's wrong in his own nation that's going to affect the people that are around him because he cares about their spiritual condition as well. This is godly and brave and courageous leadership. This took a lot of nerve. And as a king, he took seriously the spiritual condition of his people. Praise God for such a leader. If you're courageous, you're proactive. You're not passive. If you're courageous, you confront. You advocate for. 
You tear down that which needs to be torn down. You eat sacred cows if you need to. You refuse to sit on your hands. You stand up when others are sitting down. You speak up when others are silent. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. I'm wondering, what is keeping you from being all in? Maybe you don't seek after God, so you don't even know who he is. But when you seek after him, you'll find him, and you'll find him to be a good God. And you will obey him when you trust him, and when you trust him, then you will be courageous for him. When I was 23 years old, I'd already had one year of seminary, and I took a year off to travel with an author and a speaker. Some of you maybe have heard of him. His name is Josh McDowell. He's written a lot of books, speaks in places, and I went to be an intern for him and travel around parts of the country and parts of the world with another intern because I was going to learn about speaking and I was going to learn about the Bible and all sorts of different things. And so I, I went on this trek. In the middle of that year when I was gone, I came back at Christmas time, I got engaged to Jane and we got married a, a year later. I wrote letters to my parents throughout that year. Back, This is back long before cell phones. And I would write a letter, I don't know, one or two a week, and I would explain what was going on and what was there and send them to my mom and dad. Well, my mom and dad eventually, many years later, ended up moving into a retirement center, and then they moved into even a smaller unit in the retirement center, and my mom gave back to us kids different things that we had given to them that they didn't want to get rid of, but they didn't have room for. And one of those was the stack of letters that I had sent them that year. She had kept them all those years with a rubber band and in a perfect chronological order. And in 2015, we were getting ready to move from California and to come out here. And I mentioned already the house that we were going to move into here was a third of the size of what we had in Colorado. And so we needed to downsize. And so I was down in our storage room and pulled out the box, the, the tub that said Mike with special things in it. And I opened it up. And here was the stack of letters. And I decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the first letter. I think that would be interesting. And so I went into the couch in the basement, and I opened up the first letter, and I read it. And, and then I opened the second letter, then the third letter, then the fourth letter, and the fifth letter. And I don't know how many letters, but I went through a nine-month period of my life, read all the letters. Maybe it took me an hour and a half. And I read from a 23-year-old guy, and I was 51 when I read these letters. I read from this 23-year-old younger guy, who I was at that time, a guy with passion for Jesus, a guy who wanted to set the world on fire for the Lord, a guy who, who wanted to learn everything he could from Josh McDowell and from God's Word and from the experiences, a, a, a young man who was deeply in love with this woman named Jane and couldn't wait to marry her and spend the rest of his life with her. And when I was done reading the letters, I sat there in silence and I asked myself a very difficult question. Am I still that guy? And I knew the answer. I wasn't. Not like that. Over the years, I had learned kind of the tricks to pull. I learned the buttons to push and the levers to pull and the keys to turn to, you know, figure out ministry. And I knew P 
people and I knew, you know, ways to, to, to raise money and just that raw seeking after God and being passionate for him. I still had some of that, but not even close to what I read from that 23-year-old. I, I read this, this guy who was all in. And it stopped me in my tracks. And I said to the Lord, I want to be that guy again. Still working on it seven years later. I want to be that guy again. All in. Seeking after God with all of my heart. Trusting him. So I obey him and I'm courageous for him. No matter the outcome. I'm all in with him. What's holding you back? What's keeping you from being all in? Figure it out and take some steps toward him to seek after him. When you seek after him, you will find him. Find him being loving, kind, protective, righteous, just. You can trust him. When you trust him, you obey him because you know his ways are better than the world's ways. And you live courageously for him. Oh God, we cry out to you today. We ask that we would be all in for you, to seek after you with all of our heart, to not hold back at all. Lord, we know that if we seek after you, we will find you. Lord, help us to obey you, to trust your word that it is right and true and the best for us. And Lord, may we be obedient to the point of being courageous for you. Living a life of impact, even when it costs. Lord, we give ourselves to be all in for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. Thank you, Pastor Mike, for that incredibly powerful, moving message as you're challenging all of us to be all in. Now it's our opportunity, it's, it's your time who's watching and listening uh, to take a step towards commitment. And so scan the QR code right here on the screen. It's going to take you to our next steps with Jesus. And the very first option you have is that this could be the day that you can uh, check and say, I want to be a Jesus follower. And there are several other options there. And if you indicate, uh, we will follow up with you and help you to figure out what your next steps can be. I hope you make that uh, history-making decision right now, today. And then here's the response to the message that Pastor Mike wants us to consider committing to. It's simply this. I choose today to be all in. And then grapple with this reflection question. Here it is. What is the specific step I can make this week to be all in, more all in with God. All right, guys, make sure you're back here next week. You don't want to miss it. Got a really, really special treat. Uh, we'll be here at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Uh, Pacific time. And if you're in the local Bay Area, we would encourage you, invite you to come visit us uh, at our in-person worship gatherings, both in San Jose and Redwood City.